Good morning, church. We were just talking before the service how grateful we were the mics were working, and then that just happened. Um, God is in control. Everything will be good. We will be fine. Good morning. My name is Kendrick, and I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church, and it is great uh, to have you guys here this morning to worship with us in person, and for those of you online, worship with us online. We are glad to see you. Hopefully, the mics work, and you will be able to stay with us the entire service. Um, today, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, so all over the nation and even the world, churches are going to be talking about the value of life, and this is a biblical issue. This is something that I feel is very important, and this is something that we will talk about today, the value of life, and one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, why is life so valuable? Right? There's chemists, some group of chemists, and I don't know them, but they're scientists, so they're smart. Right? They, they said all of the chemicals that make up the human body are worth about 98 cents. Right? They're worth about 98 cents. So why is life so valuable? Why are we so valuable? Well, they tell you that when you're going to tell somebody something, the first thing you should do is tell them what you're going to tell them then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So here's why. Because God said so, right? The sermon is, is because God said so. We are valuable because the creator of life says we are valuable. When we were teaching our kids about money, it is very difficult to teach your kid how come eight pennies, old dingy, ugly brown pennies, are, are worth um, more than a shiny nickel, right? And then you just say, well, they are. And then they get smart, and they say, well, if you melt down pennies, there's actually copper in there that's going to make it worth more than five cents. And you're like, okay, whatever. It is this way because the Department of the U.S. Treasury says that eight pennies are worth more than five nickels. And as living and trading in this economy, guess what? Eight pennies is worth more than a shiny nickel, So the ultimate reason why people are to be valued is not found in their nature, but it's found in God's nature. It's found in the Creator's nature. God's evaluation of how valuable we are is decisive and definitive. We are valuable because God says. And the author of the eight Psalms, we're going to read that. If you go ahead and turn to the Psalms, turn to chapter 8. As we read through this, we can see he was asking this same question. And as he was writing out this psalm, he's asking the same question that so many of us have asked. And some of us continue to ask, why is life so important? Why are we valued so highly by you? And the psalms wrote this. If you start in verse 3 of chapter 8, when I look at your heavens... And the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? In other words, this author is asking, amid the the immensity of the galaxies, as I look out and I see the stars and the planets, what does the value that a human possesses? Why is it greater than these things. 
how, how can I or any human being possibly have value in relation to all of your other creation? And the answer comes back, and it's very significant. If you look at verse 5, he says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And the key word here is the pronoun. It's the author saying you, God, you have made him. And it's because of our value as human beings rest on who you are and who you say we are. Our value over the rest of the created order is based on that fact and that fact alone. That the creator says you are valuable. So only when we allow God to Let's just say price creation, as God arranges the order of creation, do we find a basis for regarding human life as being more valuable than all of his other creation. Look with me now what the Bible has to say about the worth of human life. We're going to spend and look at a couple of passages here. And the goal is that hopefully you'll see the infinite value that God, that the Creator has placed on our life. The value that God has placed on me and the value he has placed on you. And the first thing we see as we look through scripture is that the creation of human life is the climactic event of all of his created work. Go to Genesis chapter 1. And this is Genesis account that first talks about how God created the earth and its atmosphere, and then he created all living creatures that are living on earth in the seas and in the air above. And in verse 25, God appraises this part of the creation. And at the very end of, of uh, verse 25, it says, And God saw that it was good. But God was not finished. On the sixth day, God created man. He created human life, and if we look at verse 31, and we read that, it says, And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, this is after he created man, and he's looking at his entire creation. After God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. He said this because human life was the the climax. It was the apex of all of his other creation. And we see man as the apex of a fully formed and filled creation that was made by God and for God. Man and woman are, we're glorious indeed, right? We are great. And this is the the high point towards which God's creativity from the very opening pages of Scripture is directed. And so think, think about this for a minute. Think of how awesome that is. As we read the other five days of creation and we think of the galaxies and we were just talking the other day with somebody about this new telescope and we can see a hundred light years traveling at the speed of light for a hundred years and we still cannot come to the end of space as we know it. In all of that space, God's most significant creation is human life. As you're looking at the Milky Way, as you are on a, I've seen Star Wars, I don't know what all the planets' names are, I don't know all the galaxies, I don't know all that stuff, but as you just imagine being in that spaceship and seeing all those yellow lights, seeing all those things fly past you, in all of that creation, human life is the greatest thing, the most valuable thing that God created. We'll see stars and galaxies that will be formed and that will fade away, that will be gone 
But in all your stellar journeys, you will not ever see anything equal to the birth and the wonder of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or, or baby boy is the apex, is the climax of God's creation. At that point, there was a child that once was not. Now is a, a created soul. And this baby, he or she, this human, will live forever. He or she will exist for all eternity. And when the stars of the universe fade away, that soul will remain And can you just picture Adam and Eve as they stood there, the pinnacle of God's creation. They were at peace with God and they were at peace with one another. And the scripture tells us as he looks at his creation, God said that it was good. It was very good in the sight of God. And so by that alone, human life is extremely valuable. It was the climactic achievement of all of God's creative work. It was, right, the creation of humans. We are good. Not just good. We are very good in the sight of God. So the second thing that we want to look at is that humans were created in the image of God. Right? Humans, both male and female, were made in the image of God. Image refers, of course, to someone who resembles someone else, much like a son resembles his father. Much, many people see Max and they say, oh, you're your father. You look like your father. He is tired of hearing that, except when it benefits him. And since God is spirit, image and likeness cannot refer to a physical appearance, so the term must refer to other things. And while we can talk about many other things, I just want to focus on two things that are highlighted in this passage, that are highlighted in this psalm uh, that was written. So if we go back to Psalm 8, and we just look at verses 3 and 4. It says, and when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And just in these passages we see in these verses, we see God's desire, his interest in mankind that he cares for him, that he desires to have a relationship with man. And one significance of being created in his likeness is the ability that we as humans have to have a relationship with the creator, to have a relationship with God the Father. In relationship with God, that means that man has this innate capacity to know God, to connect with our creator and to experience close friendship with him as we walk with him. And if you look at the garden before the fall, God and man, they interacted in deep and meaningful ways. It was this relationship that God desired for this creation. And it's not difficult to look through Scripture and see God's desire and his plan to be in a relationship with us. From the beginning of Scriptures, we see Adam walking in the garden, walking in relationship with God until we get to the end of Scripture where we see that all of the saints... Right, all of the Christians, all of the believers, all those who put their faith in God, they are gathered together for the feast. That we are to be in fellowship with God as we are there at the feast with Jesus and his church, his bride. And it's clear that God created us in his image to have relationship with him. We'll see the second reason. If we look at verses 6 through 8, we see that we were created to have dominion over God's creation. If you look at these verses with me, it says this. You have given him dominion, he's talking about uh, you've given him creation man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, 
the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And he has given us dominion, but we are not to rule over God's creation in the absence of God. We are to be ambassadors, a representation of who God the, the Father is, of who the Creator is. We are to resemble Him. We are to, to, to be his, his representatives over His creation. And when we talk about that we're to represent Him, again, we go back to the relationship, this idea that those that were created in God's image were to have a relationship with Him. And as we abide in Him, as we walk with Him, as we learn more about Him through relationship with Him, we represent him better, right? We reflect him better to those around us. We reflect his image over all of his creation, and we only do this by being in a relationship with him. Of all that he created, only one was in his image, and only one was created to be in relationship with him. We therefore have life that is sacred, And we are to resemble God. We are to represent God. We are to be God's ambassadors of his character, his speech, and his actions so that others might have fellowship with God and that so we can worship God in truth and in spirit. So as we look at this, we see that we are valuable and precious because God made us that way. We are the climax of God's creation. And we can see that we are different than other creation because we were created in the image of God. We were created to have relationship with God. But there's still one thing that we read in Scripture that makes us even more valuable, that points to how valuable we are. That human beings are of such value in God's eyes that God sacrificed His only Son so that we could have life. That is mind-blowing to to even try to put a price on how much we are worth in God's eyes. If a father gave his son so that you could live, how, how do you put a price on that? How do you say, I'm only worth this much? Our value is indicated by the fact that God not, not only had loved us enough to create us and make us in his image, but he also loved us enough to pay the un believable cost of redeeming us, of restoring us, of saving us by giving us his son. In Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrates his own love, right? He shows how much he values us. He shows how much he loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's in this act that God shows how priceless humans are of how he values our life of being worth the death of his only son on Calvary's cross. He says, you are that valuable. I want you to consider a few things with me because as we look at our world today, it is clear that our world does not see life as valuable. And as we continue to look at our world, as we look at the history and we look at where we are now, we are seeing that the value of life is being devalued more and more and more. Look at these facts with me. Is that today people continue to value or devalue humans according to their sex, their race, their age, their economic status, their mental abilities, their world, political, and religious views. And we just established that we're not worth anything because of how we judge, but because of what God said we're worth. In our country, 1.8 million elderly are victims of 
maltreatment. Many by their own family that say, it's not worth it anymore. You're not worth it anymore. In our own nation alone, two to four million women are battered each year. That's not normal. Right? That's not valuing life. That's not a healthy relationship. And there's nothing godly about that. And one of the reasons that they can't narrow that down between two and four is because women are told that that's normal, that that's okay, that you shouldn't tell anybody. That was a mistake. That is not godly. It is not God-honoring. It is not a value of life. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with Selah saying, this is not normal. Don't live like that. If something happens, you need to tell somebody. Your life is important. And we need to treat it as important. In 2020, 618 children are victims of abuse. 1,750 of them have died from that abuse. That's something we think happens in other countries. Gosh. 1,700 kids die from being abused in this country. But that's not the worst. It leads us to perhaps the greatest indication that our culture is devaluing human life is the fact that abortion still continues and is promoted in this country. January 22nd, you know what that day? That's today, right? It's the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, where abortion was legalized. And I, I know, I know people say, oh, the Supreme Court overturned that. They didn't outlaw abortions, right? They just left that up to the states to determine if you were going to do that or not. California, guess what? It's not looking good for us, right? There's, there's talks that California is going to have an abortion tourism industry, a whole industry supported by abortions, an entire industry. It's impossible right now to estimate the number of abortions that will be carried out in California in the coming years. 93% of those, these are stats, so this is of all abortion, 93% of those lives that are being ended are simply because they're an inconvenience to their parents. Right? Human life is not cherished or valued as it should be. I remember several years ago, we had a lady that came to, actually came to our house. She, when somebody calls your house at midnight and says, I need to talk to you right now, it's usually not good. And she said, I, I need to talk to you. And so I, had, I woke Melissa up and we went downstairs and she had just found out that she was pregnant. And she had been told by her friends and family, oh, just go have an abortion, it's okay. But she knew she didn't want to do that. And I remember Melissa said, I'll, I'll, I'll promise you this right now, if you have this baby, we will, we will become the parents. We will foster, we will adopt that baby. And she looked at Melissa and said, oh, no, 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 if I'm going to have the baby, I'm going to keep it. And I remember Melissa said, so you're actually choosing between Death or life, like we're not even talking about convenience, this is what you want. And, and praise God, she did carry the baby term, and uh, 10 years old now, and, the, and he is doing well. Did you know that it's illegal to transport pregnant lobster for fear of hurting 
all of the little preborn babies. But at the same time, in most states, a pregnant teenager can be transported from school to an abortion facility without even telling the parents. Stories and stats like this show that our country is infected with a disease, that our country as a whole is devaluing life, that our country does not value human life as, as much as God values human worth. The very lives that God created and that Jesus died for, we as a society are saying they're worthless. We are devaluing them. This is a problem. Right? This is a problem that as a church we should look into is that we should address this. Right? As not only being created in his image, but as actual followers of Jesus Christ, as people who say Jesus is my Lord, right? That means we do what he says. He's my Lord and Savior. And if that is true, then we should love the things that he loves. We should value the things that he values. And we should care for his most precious creation. And so the question is, well, how, how do we do this? Well, the easy one is that we love God's image bearers. Right? We love other people. And we influence our culture and our community to do the, do the same. And what I mean by that is that we influence like laws. We, inc- we influence current world views that cheapen human life. Right? We, we pray for change. We enact change. We could do this by writing letters to our nation's leaders and expressing the values of, of human life. Right? We can vote for politicians who feel and will participate in enacting laws that give proper value to human life. This, this is important. And as Christians, I think that we should interact with the public square. Right? We need to interact and influence our culture But listen to this, I don't believe that we should stop there. And I actually don't believe that writing letters and complaining and voting is the most effective way to address this issue of devaluing life in our community. I believe the best way to treat this problem starts simply by valuing others ourselves. That we see others as valuable, that we treat others as valuable, that we love others as Christ has loved us. And there are many, many ways that we can do this. Right? Our church has partnered with a maternity home, Angel's Way, because there was a mother, an expectant mother that had nothing and needed help. And our church said, we will adopt her for nine months. Right? We, we did it, it's actually for a year, and walked through that process with her. And I'm being told to switch mics. And that we would walk through that, that process with her. We also have started a ministry just last year, this Hope Ministry that loves seniors at the assisted living facility just next door. And we're demonstrating the value of their lives, the value of who they are, of being God's creation. Hey, Amelia, our Hope Ministry could use help, right? Right? If, If that is something you say, hey, I can help or I can do that, just fill out on your connection card in front of you and just put down Hope Ministry and I'll get you in contact with Amelia and there are a hundred things you could do. You could sing songs, make cookies, do Bible studies, pray with, and just talk to somebody and let them know how important they are. Another thing that we have done is we've partnered with Open Arms Pregnancy Resource Clinic. We've been doing this 
for many, many, many years, and we partner in more ways than just giving money. We have several of you have volunteered and serve in there, everything from uh, uh, arranging baby clothes to doing accounting work to counseling ladies. And at this time, I would like to invite Sean Gates up with us. He's the executive director of Open Arms Pregnancy Resource Center, and he's going to just share with you some of the ways that we can love on expectant mothers and expectant fathers He's going to give you an update on uh, uh, Open Arms, and we look forward to hearing from you. Oh, good morning, beloved. <laughs> Open Arms Pregnancy Clinic is a Christian ministry offering life-affirming services to women facing unintended pregnancies. The world tells us that an unwanted baby, an unexpected pregnancy, is worthless. But this is what God says. Psalm 139 says, For you, that's God, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And David writes that God knew him before he was even formed, before he was even shaped. So God sees those unborn children as valuable. So at Open Arms, we have two missions. Number one is to save babies, and number two is to share the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want women to know that abortion is not the only option. That's what they think. That's what the world tells them. They come into us and they say, what else can I do? They have pressure from parents, from boyfriends, partners. So what do we do? We give them free pregnancy testing, ultrasounds so that they can see their babies. We give them education and counseling on pregnancy, parenting classes, supplies. Last year, we served over 1,000 clients. And we also serve the men, the fathers, 300 of them last year, counseling, telling them to act like men, to provide and protect their unborn children. So let me give you a little bit of an update. Uh, 2022 was a tumultuous year. We praise the Lord that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But that also stirred up a hornet's nest. Uh, a fury aimed at pregnancy clinics like Open Arms. Over 100 pro-life churches, clinics, and organizations were vandalized, ransacked, or firebombed. We had U.S. senators telling, writing letters saying that pregnancy clinics are deceptive. We have state attorneys general, uh, including the California state attorney general, launching politically motivated uh, investigations into pro-life organizations. At Open Arms, the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned, I was there uh, hiring armed security. The LA City Council has passed an ordinance targeting pregnancy clinics, uh, threatening us with $10,000 fines. Google, which is how we reach people through our advertising, is restricting us. Yelp, where we have reviews and a site has put a false label on us. 
We've had tons of false reviews. We've had people come into our clinic with hidden cameras. We've had people calling us on the phone trying to set us up for lawsuits. There's people trying to set us down, simply put. But we trust the Lord. He's our refuge and our strength. He's our very help in time of trouble. So we don't fear. But the need is great. As Pastor Kendrick told you, California's become an abortion sanctuary state, which means that women from out of state can come here uh, to have their abortions. <clears throat> but we know God works, and we know he works through his people. So, so how can you help? The easy thing to do is to get mad. Don't do that. Instead of getting mad, pray. Pray. The people who are pushing the abortion agenda and the women who choose to have abortions, they're just deceived. They're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. But remember, remember, brothers and sisters, that's where you were. That's where you were. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the Apostle Paul tells us, commands us, that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made for all men. Why? Why? Because this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Could you imagine where our country would be if Christians got on their knees and prayed for their neighbors? That's what we need to be doing. That's the most important thing for you to be doing. You can also volunteer. Help us. February 21st uh, is our annual volunteer training. We're looking for people who can counsel women and men in their pregnancy decisions so you can share the gospel with these people. We're looking for nurses. We're looking for people to help with special events. There's all kinds of ways that you can help us. And, of course, you can, you can help us financially. So I'm going to be in the back after the service. Come talk to me. I've got a sign-up sheet for anyone who wants to. Uh, you can just come to our website. You can call us. But most important, Lord, pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. in case uh, my wife I'm going to try this one more time before I give up for good for today um, but as Sean was talking about there's something we could do we could pray for our neighbors right? we, we look at all these things and we say oh I don't know people or that's too hard or I don't have time well there's somebody whose head sleeps on a pillow 40 feet from where you do get to know them and care for them and love them and pray for them 
uh, when you get a chance. But church, I want to give you a warning. I want to take a little side note now from what we're talking about, that when, when we start to love people, when we start to address this problem, do not become worse than the problem itself. You have all seen those ads for like headache medicine. It says, oh yeah, you got a headache. Take this. Your headache's probably going to get worse. You're going to throw up all night. You may stroke and you may die. Well, my headache's not that bad. Right? I don't want to deal with that. I'm not going to take something that makes things worse. Now, this means that when we are to tell people that life is important and that it's valuable, that we should value their life. Right? That we should love them. Right, we lovingly minister to those who are on the other side of this issue than us. Right, those who vote opposite of our beliefs, even those who favor the pro-choice stance. After all, Jesus commanded us to love those, even those who oppose us. Right, when they, we try to do his will. So our response to these people, to other side of the issue, is that we should clearly show them the love of Christ, that we should love people. It is never right, ever, to fight wrong with wrong. Right, we are supposed to model Jesus. We are ambassadors of Jesus. We are not justified to use the devil's tools to match his work. When we do that, we are no better than him. When we start to follow the devil, I promise you, you're not following Jesus anymore. We are never to hate the sinner. We are only to hate the sin. And those on the other side of the issue, those who don't agree with us, might be able to say, I don't agree with you, but they should never, ever, ever doubt our love for them or our value of human life, all life, their life, even in spite of them disagreeing with our position. They should never question that. And as Sean said, we are to pray for them because Jesus commands it. Like We don't need any other reason. Jesus said to do it. We should do it. But the other thing is, before we condemn others' actions, we need to look at it ourselves. We need to look at it, right? We're treating these symptoms. Are we making things worse or are we helping? As we look at why someone had an abortion, we're learning many things. The truth is, is that they often feel forced to do so. Stats show us that an abortion is often the act of despair, In fact, 70% of women undergoing abortions admit that they believe it was morally wrong, but they felt they had no other choice. Their family, their friends, their boyfriend-slash-husband have all encouraged, pushed uh, uh, them to doing that. But church, here's the heartbreaking truth. Many of them sit in the same chairs that you're sitting in. right? Oftentimes, we see that the church didn't help The church just added to that pressure. The church just built that shame. The church just spread more confusion. And the expectant mother and or the expectant father felt pressured and that they had no other choice. This is not how it should be. We are the church. We should not confuse people. We should be clear in what we should believe. And we should let people know that they are loved. The loving treatment that they receive from the church should help them to understand how precious human life really is and not propagate the lies of Satan and devalue what God has created in his own image. There should be no question that we value life, that we value all life. We don't only value a baby life, but we value the life of the mother. In short, we must not just show that we are 
pro-baby, but that we are pro-mother, that we are pro-father, that we are pro-all-life. Let there be no confusion. Calvary Church values life, and we value you. We love God, and we love you. That that should never, ever be in question. So how do we respond to these things? How do we love others? Well, by many of those ways that I just talked about, right? That's how we treat people, by serving, by caring, by ministering to people. But it shouldn't stop there, right? That's not the end. That's only treating the symptoms, right? We have to actually provide a cure, and we do that by introducing others to the one and only giver of life. As I alluded to earlier, abortion and laws that devalue human life are only symptoms of the disease of sin. And as necessary as they are, all the marching and voting and legislation in the world will not cure a sin-sick heart. And if we limit our response to this kind of action, we must realize we're only treating the symptoms and we're not doing anything to cure the problem. It'd be like treating strep throat with cop drops while the whole time we have antibiotics just laying on the counter not being used. The best way to help people value life as God values life is to introduce them to God. Right? This is the cure. This is called evangelism. Right? That we share Jesus. This is the way that we are to change people's hearts. I have no, I just, I I know too many Christians that have become so absorbed in fighting the symptoms of abortion that they've totally given up on trying to share the cure. They have totally given up on giving the cure to other people. When sharing Jesus with other people is the most effective way to heal this disease. Some of you may know Norma McCorvey. And for those of you that don't know her, I want to introduce her to you, that she is the Roe of Roe versus Wade. For decades, she fought for the pro-choice movement, and then she met a little girl named Emily, and she began to hang out with Emily and her family. And this Christian family loved Norma and showed her that they valued her life, even though they disagreed greatly on this one issue. And their warmth eventually led Norma to accept their invitation to attend a church. And when she went, she heard the gospel, and she responded to the gospel, and she invited Jesus into her heart and into her life, and then she worked to end abortion from there on out. Her heart was changed as she met her creator. Her heart was changed, and she committed her life to preserving the value of life. You see, changing hearts is way more effective than changing laws. We must not allow ourselves to become sidetracked into treating only the symptoms, but we must also distribute the cure. We must also do life with people and share life with people. And when we do that, we care for and we love people. We must reflect Jesus in our actions and then tell Jesus in our words. As image bearers of Christ, as representatives of Christ, we should follow the example that Jesus himself gave us to follow. Right? That we should love people, we should serve people, that we should care for people, that we should share the kingdom of heaven with people. It was his riches, 
right? It was his kindness and it was his goodness which ultimately led us to repentance. Shouldn't we offer the same? Shouldn't we reflect that same kind of kindness and patience? That we should trust God that he will use it to lead others to him. That he will use it to lead others to repentance just as he did in your lives. I love that passage, such as some of you, such as were some of you. We are all to value life. We are to value all life simply because God values and gives life, so should we. Church, today, you have to ask, how can I demonstrate God's value of life to somebody else? How can I just demonstrate how somebody else's value God valued our lives. He sent his son to die for us. There was an action in that love. We hear that love is a verb that produces an action. And Jesus said, I love you this much, or God said, I loved you this much. I'm going to send my son to die for you. So what action can we take? How can we as Christians, how can we as image bearers of God demonstrate the value of life? What can we do? We gave some examples. There's a sign-up sheet in the back if you want to help with open arms. There's a hope ministry that's saying, hey, I need your help. You can help us. Who can you love on? Who can you minister to? Who can you reflect the the kindness that God showed you? Who can you reflect that same kindness to somebody else? Who can you share the hope of true life with that only comes through Jesus? Who are those names that are popping up? You're listening to what I'm saying. You're saying, oh, this, this person I know is lonely. This person I know is struggling with how valuable they are. This person is struggling with what life is and the importance of life. This person doesn't know Jesus. This person's life is a wreck. This person needs Jesus. Do we value life enough? Do we value their life enough? Do we value life as much as God values life that we should take a step of action and do something? Who do you need to serve? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to introduce to Jesus today? And then there's some of you that are sitting right here that have never experienced the abundant life that God has to offer. You've never given your life to him. Some of you are dealing with this brokenness and hurts and shame so much so you think God can never, ever, ever forgive me. That's simply not true. God's grace is greater than anything that you have done. He can restore anything that is broken. We know that Jesus is life, and he will give you life. Scripture promises us that when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is gone. We don't even have to deal with that stuff. We are new people in Christ. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All of that brokenness, all that shame, all of that guilt is gone and we are restored and we are given life. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If your heart is yearning to experience that life that Jesus will provide, I have good news for you. It's his kindness, it's his grace, it's his mercy that is leading you to repentance. It's his kindness and his grace that is leading you to life. And as we close this service in prayer, I want to encourage you, the very first thing I want you to do is pray to him and thank him for his goodness. Thank him for who he is. 
And then sometime either after the prayer, after you've prayed with God, maybe during the song or maybe after the service, you, you grab a connection card and you write on there, man, I, I want to learn more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And maybe you come up and see me. I'll be standing here or there. I'll be somewhere in the campus. You come up and see me and say, hey, I, I'm following Jesus. I just need to know how or I want to know more. And I would love to celebrate with you and I'd love to help you on that journey. Maybe you send me an email. There's a thousand ways, but here's the only thing that I want you to promise me. You will tell somebody today that you are going to follow Jesus. You tell somebody today that I have walked into newness of life and I am a Christ follower. Church, this is it, is that God created you. Christ died for you. Your and every other life is valuable. It is valued by God and therefore should be valued by you. Dear Father, we just thank you for your son. We thank you for the life that you give each of us. Lord, we pray for our own hearts that we would remember that we were once lost, that we were once broken, that we are not the judge, that you are the judge. We would pray that you would lead our hearts to love and to care for and to minister, that you would give us the strength and the courage to stay silent when we need to stay silent and to love sacrificially as you lead us to love. Christ, we just thank you for the life that you give us, the life here and now, the life for all eternity, and we are so grateful in our hearts dance as we think of that day in the future when we will gather with our brothers and sisters and sit in your throne and sing holy, 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 holy. We look forward to that day. We look forward to that life. Lord, we look forward to worshiping you for all of eternity. Lord, we love you and we thank you and it's in your precious and holy name of Jesus that all of God's people said, amen.